All right. Hey, good morning, everyone. How are you doing? Fantastic. Hey, I'm doing great. I'm Scott Palmer. I am one of the elders here, and I have the privilege of bringing to you, we are kind of just, um, we're moving into the uh, second half of the book. We're crossing over that halfway threshold, and we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3 today. Before we get started on that, though, I wanted to ask everyone here to take a moment and reflect and think about a time when you did something in your life that you were convinced was the right thing to do. One of those places where you could say, I have no doubt about it. This is absolutely the right thing. I'm convinced of this. I'm sure of it. Everything's lining up. It's going perfectly well. Things are developing, moving in the right direction. I know this is the right thing to do. And then later on, maybe new information came to light and you realized it actually wasn't the right thing to do. And instead, what you found out is whatever your goal was that you were aiming to attain, instead of doing that, you were doing the very thing that would undermine that goal itself. Is anyone out there able to relate to that? Have you done this before? Great. Well, I'm glad I'm not alone on that one there. I've had uh, this a number of times in my life, but one of those uh, experiences for me, I would say, had come early on in my career. I would say up until about the time I was 30, uh, I had this tendency where I like to, uh, God has really shaped me to be a person who likes to share information, okay? And when I do this, um, if people like what I have to say, they say, hey, that's, that's advice or that's perspective. And when they don't like what I have to say, I'm opinionated. And within this, if anyone here who knows me uh, can say, yeah, that, that Scott guy's always got an opinion about something, right? Like, and I do, and that's how God has shaped me, and that's how he has made me. And so early in my career, I found that there were a lot of times where I might be in a meeting someplace, uh, or I might just be in a position where someone had something going on, and I felt like, well, God has, has you know, gifted me with what I believe to be perspective, and so as a result, I wouldn't be doing that person any good if I kept my mouth shut, so let me jump in and tell them exactly what I think. Um, what I started to notice over time, though, is that as I would do this, and I would do it frequently, um, it wasn't always well-received. It wasn't always listened to, and what I felt was advice that I was giving was oftentimes not followed. And I realized over time this was really a bit frustrating for me as an individual because I wasn't pouring in trying to be some opinionated, loudmouth know-it-all. I just thought I had something to share and something to say. And so out of a genuine interest to try to benefit or aid whatever you know, group of individuals it was that I was around, I would simply share this information. And when I would do this, um, and then find out, gosh, they're really not listening to it, it just really, you know, it would get, it would bug me. It would just get really frustrating after a while. And so I started to realize that if they weren't going to listen, then I'm just not going to share. And so I started to withhold and started to kind of just change up how I would do things. And what was interesting within doing this is that by simply not sharing, it allowed people to then invite me into the process later on. So I might be sitting in a meeting somewhere and have someone say to me, you know, we might be an hour into the meeting and go, hey, Scott, we know you usually have things to say and we haven't heard from you in a while. What do you think about this? And then I would share uh, whatever that may be. And the irony there being that when I was wanting to really be helpful, 
I was actually undermining it because people would say, that's just Scott, he's opinionated and would just kind of brush it aside. But as soon as I stopped trying to insert myself into the process, that was when um, I basically was allowed to then function in the manner that I was hoping to function in. So I, I bring this up and we've titled, or I've titled this uh, sermon today, The Road Less Taken, because I think that this is uh, largely about what we're gonna see here in this first half of Philippians chapter three. Uh, Paul will essentially outline within this portion here how he was traveling down one particular path, thinking that he was doing one particular thing, only to find out it was really undermining exactly what he was aiming to do, and then he had to change tactics along the way. Now, uh, does anyone out there, if you don't have a Bible, if you could raise your hand, as I would love for you to be able to follow along with us here today, and we have some Bibles that we'd like you to uh, just take, and you can uh, use it today, but more importantly, you can use it uh, when you take it home with you, because this is your gift uh, to keep here from Discovery. So what I'm going to do is let's go ahead and read now through Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to just read the whole thing, and then we will go ahead and talk about it. So this is the Apostle Paul writing from uh, prison in Rome to the church at Philippi. And he says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Praise be to God. Um, I want to spend the next few minutes here just giving what I would consider to be a high-level summary of what this passage is about. There are... Uh, you know, just for a few minutes here to kind of uh, really set the context and say, what, what is he actually saying here? What does this mean? Why is it important? Um, so if I were to summarize this, I would begin with that verse one and say that I think of this as being a focus on relationship. It's kind of an odd transitionary phrase that he uses here. Finally, my brothers rejoice in the Lord. But then he says, to write the same things to you is not troublesome to me and to you, it is a safeguard. Um, I like that because you're not gonna make this statement to someone who you've never spoken to before or you have no pre-existing relationship with. As we learned last week, uh, the church at Philippi 
had uh, been supporting Paul. They had sent Epaphroditus to him. He's sending him back. He's talking about sending Timothy in their direction. Um, so there's this strong pre-existing relationship that is already there, which I think is really important because if you're going to give advice, if you are going to pour into and invest in someone, um, it's, it's probably best to do that when you know them and you've already strengthened up a relationship with them there. As we move on to this verses 2 and 3, we see that there are um, what I would call warnings that are against those who are saying you should have circumcision, and particularly as a proof of one's faith. Uh, if I was to summarize it in another way, I would just say this is a, a way of saying warning against anyone who's trying to earn their way towards their faith. And it's probably important to understand that within the church at that time, um, they were still really figuring out, what does this mean for us to be the church? They didn't have all of their, their belief systems fully canonized. They didn't have what we know as the New Testament to where they could say, yeah, like, I'll just go there and figure that out there. And so there is a strong tendency uh, to then revert back to the ways that, that people used to do things prior to Jesus. Um, and so within Judaism and within uh, the law of that time, this circumcision thing was really, really important. It's what set people apart to say, yeah, I am of the people of God. And so there were people at this time who were going around saying, you know, that's fine for you to believe in Jesus and that's great, but it really, that's only part of the story. It doesn't really count if you haven't been circumcised too. And so Paul is, is pretty uh, directly combating that which I find to be really important because then as we move on into verses four through six, Paul gives his, uh, what we'll call his curriculum vitae or what might just be called a CV. Now, for those of you in the academic world, you may know what this means. Uh, some of you outside of that might not. So it literally means the course of my life. Um, now, I work on campus, and so when students want to set up a meeting with me, the first things I ask for, tell them, you tell me when you can meet, and then you send me your CV. And I do scholarships, and so I largely do this because when someone tells me, I want to meet with you to talk about applying to this scholarship program, I want to see their record. And I want to see, what have you done, and would that validate that you applying for this program would be you know, worthwhile, that it would be a good usage of everyone's time that is here. It largely is a demonstration, though, of where someone has been and where they are therefore trying to go. What are my accomplishments? What am I doing? As we get then into 7 and through 9, what we get is this section where Paul says, uh, he uses one of those words, but or yet, which is always a transitionary kind of a, a phrase to where he can basically say, all of this that I told you, that is important in some way, and yet I'm gonna change up the story here. I'm going to redefine what is actually meant here by success. And so within this here, he doesn't just say, listen, that, that's all a part of my past, and I did that, and it's still really good and worthwhile. He goes on in these verses to tell you that um, he's essentially doesn't find that to be of the value that, that others would probably in his culture tell him he should. Um, he and uses phrases like, I've come to regard these things as loss because of Christ. Uh, he tells you that he, um, basically he, he calls it rubbish. And we'll come around to that later on, 
And so I want to dive more into what this means, uh, particularly in that context, on why he uses the word rubbish and, and just how strong of language that actually would have been. But the point being that most of us can see rubbish is something of no value, it's maybe trash, uh, it's just whatever, it's where you would say, I, I don't find a tremendous amount of value in those things any longer. And then finally, Paul uh, ends this off by demonstrating that he really just desires to know Christ above all things. And I find that part to be particularly beautiful and wonderful because he'll even enter into saying, listen, I, I would like to enter into the sufferings that Christ has had if that's what it means to know Jesus, to turn my back on all of these things that supposedly mean this is what success should be, and instead I'm going to do these things because of the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Um, it's really a very countercultural view. In his culture, that's true, and in our culture, that's true too. There's, there's not a lot of us who are signing up for suffering and who are saying, Lord, I actually just am going to take everything that I was and I'm going to put that aside and I'm going to lay everything at your feet and say, uh, where are you calling me to and what do you want me to do? Okay, so I've got a couple of main points, and if you picked up uh, one of the bulletins on the way in, there's some fill-in kind of things, and so I, this is kind of that point where you can start to do that. So if you're the person who likes to write stuff in, sorry I've made you wait a long time, but the first main point is Paul originally followed a path that he thought was right. Now, I think something really important to know and to understand within this here, as Paul is carrying out at this time what he believes to be the path that he is supposed to follow, that wouldn't have been uncommon in his day. As someone who goes on to say, listen, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, I was a Pharisee, I'm doing all of these things here, right? He is really, really just carrying out what anybody at that time and that location should have thought was the proper way to live for God. And this comes from Israel's history, so we've got to step back into there for a little bit. Um, as we go into the Old Testament, what we find with Israel is that uh, pretty repeatedly, Israel says, I'm going to try to figure out what does this mean for me to be a nation and a people who follow God, but then at the same time, I keep getting confronted with these other nations around me, and they have these other gods, and those other gods seem pretty good too because they promise things like prosperity, good crops, fertility, um, all these things that would say, hey, these are all really good things. And so Israel, often in the Old Testament, actually tries to merge both together and say, I'm going to follow God, but then we're also worshiping all of these other things. And while this isn't the only reason they then get carried off into exile, it is absolutely a primary reason because they have been commanded in the Old Testament to worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So as they go off into exile into Babylon, when they come back from that time, Israel then recognizes we've got to actually take this relationship with God a little more seriously. And so we see from that point onward uh, that the law starts to take on more of a, a place of importance, a place of prominence, and if you will, the pendulum begins to swing from this area of being, hey, we can be kind of a little loose about how we're following God, to now we're going to be really, really strict about it. And so by the time Paul comes on the scene, 
This is, you know, the, the milieu that he is in. This is his place where he can say, all right, uh, I'm supposed to be doing these things. And so part of what he then ends up doing is um, he decides, well, then I am going to follow up the path of, of success as a good Israelite, and I'm going to then uh, become a Pharisee. And then um, within that, I'm going to start doing things like arresting people who are following this thing, this Christianity, um, because they are maybe a threat and they may undermine what we are trying to do here in following God. And so if we move on to our second point, it's that God showed him the right path to take and what it would cost him. So I'm not going to go through this whole story right now, but what we get to see, in, uh, if you were to spend time on your own looking at this, is in the book of Acts, chapter 9. This is the story where Paul goes on to a different city in order to say, I'm going to arrest Christians there and bring them back to Jerusalem so that they can more or less stand trial and so we can root out any of these influences that are here that would cause a problem. And when this happens, on the road there, he actually encounters Jesus for the very first time. And when he does that, the Bible says that he is made blind. And he, uh, as he hears from Jesus, um, he hears Jesus say, why are you persecuting me? And he has to ask him, who are you? And he says, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. And then he goes on to tell him, you are going to go on into that city. And then uh, I will show you what it is that you are going to do. And... God uh, goes ahead and sends a prophet to him to heal his blindness and tell him this is the instructions that God has given you and you're going to be going on to the Gentiles and to other people to really reveal to them who I actually am. And he tells him there will be suffering and it will be difficulty along the way there. Um, I think this is really neat. Like God is showing him the mission that he has for his life. And I recognize that with these two points that are here, this may not make us all feel real comfortable when we get to see a word there that he thought it was right or that God showed him the right path. Because our culture is very pluralistic and we don't like binaries very much. Um, but when it, when it comes down to it, um, I'm just gonna profess to you that I, I very strongly believe there is only one way and that is through Jesus. There is not a plurality of options to say, I'm going to go do this and I will live a good life or I'll do what I think is right and that's just going to, in the end, add up and be enough. There is a right and a wrong way. Um, there is following Jesus or there's not. And you can find that you may well be in opposition to him. Um, so if we can move on to this third point here, is that Paul realized his old path did not bring him close to God. Instead, it made him opposed to God. Um, realistically, his former path, you know, when he thought he was doing what was right, it really wasn't. I mean, we see in Acts, he had not, even, he had not encountered Jesus, right? He was carrying out what he believed was in the best interest of following God. And yet... Jesus confronts him and tells him, you're actually persecuting me. What you're doing is in opposition to me and to the mission that I have for you to carry out in the world today. A um, couple of 
of theologians that you may have heard of have a few things to say here. Um, there's an old guy named Charles Spurgeon, and he's written uh, concerning Paul and his CV. He says, if anybody could have boasted of what he was by birth, what he was by profession, what he was by the display of religious zeal, Paul could have boasted as boldly as anyone could. For in all those respects, he was second to nobody. You know that it is a very easy thing, or it ought to be a very easy thing, for some people to be humble, for they have nothing to be proud of. But here's a man who had much of which he might have been proud, according to the letter of the law. He was a diamond of the first order. Yet see what a different verdict he gives after grace has opened his eyes. I think that's really, really cool. Because what that really tells me is that Paul, if anybody could have earned their way to Jesus, right? They could have earned closeness. If this is really about human effort and about um, doing what is right and then God is going to be pleased with us in some way, Paul's the prototype. He really should be the person that we would say we all want to emulate him. We all want to be like him because not only is he coming from the right people, uh, but then he is also a, a Pharisee, so he has actually uh, risen up in the religious leadership, but not content to just carry out a position and say that's enough. He then is going to go on and say, I am going to take this a step further and make sure that I am um, carrying out this mission of the Pharisees and, and of people to root out anyone who seems to be opposed to what we are trying to do. Um, so he really should have been someone. And, and we can look at his you know, CV there and say, wow, like that's what people thought someone should look like. And maybe he had it in mind. Hey, someday if I keep this up, I'll be the high priest someday. Maybe that was his aim. I don't know. Uh, just pure speculation that is there. But we see that with these outward signs that are there, be it circumcision or all the things that he has done, it doesn't actually bring him close to God at all. If we continue on, there's another uh, theologian, another old guy named John Wesley. And I, I promised that we'd come back to this idea of rubbish. Because recall that what he, he says there is that I regard, um, uh, for I've suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Now, this isn't just a word that he threw in uh, to be, um, you know, cavalier about it. Uh, as John Wesley points out, the Greek word signifies any, the vilest refuse of things, the dross of metals, the dregs of liquors, the excrements of animals, the most worthless scraps of meat, the basest offals, fit only for dogs. And really what I want people to hear from this is that nothing about this is neutral. It's not inherently something where he would say, well, maybe it didn't bring me, you know, close to God, but it didn't take me away from God either, right? This is something where he would say, it's not neutral. It's, it's all things that you don't want to be around, right? Uh, I mean, when we use words like vilest here, or we say this is excrements, or it's worthless, it's base, it's only for dogs. He's saying, this is stuff that I don't want to just take it and set it on the shelf and say, yeah, that's no longer part of me, but it, you know, it's something I've done. He's saying, I want to get that as far away from me as I can. In the same way that you don't 
If you're out taking a walk, you don't see excrement somewhere and go, hey, actually, let me pick that up and bring that with me. I want that close to me in some way, right? Like, it would be really odd to do that. He's saying, no, let's get that as far away from me as I can. And he connects it pretty directly to this idea. It's rubbish. Um, He regards it as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. He's saying for him, this was really standing in his way of actually knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So this to me is, is really important to think about because here in Davis, we've got a lot of really accomplished people. And as we look around in this room, I'm sure that there is just an overflowing abundance of talent that's right here in this room. But no matter how much talent any of us have, that isn't going to suddenly just put you in good favor with God. It isn't just going to make God look at you and say, you know what, you're really smart or funny or a gifted speaker or whatever it is that we look at and say, yeah, that's what I'm supposed to want to be like. Because that's putting the onus on ourselves. It's putting the emphasis on us and our abilities, and that's not really um, how we want things to be. And so as we move on to this last of the main points here, the future path focuses on faith and trust in Jesus, not who we are. Now, again, we called this the road less taken because most of us as humans, it's just natural in our lives that we would want to take ownership and say, what can I do? How can I prove? Um, What is it that, that is gonna make it so that I can somehow validate my faith? Oh, if I just do more of this, if I do that, then that's the way to go. And you find that there's a lot of people, both spiritual and secular, who do this, and that's the path they choose to go down. And that's Paul's former path. And that's the one that I feel like I see most people on. And then there's the secondary path that says, I'm actually not in control. I don't, I'm not that great. And when it boils down to it, it's actually about following Jesus and allowing him to lead and command my life with no strings attached to that. There's nothing there that would say, okay, uh, God, I will follow you as long as. But it's saying, I'm going to just actually take everything and offer it up to Jesus. And I feel like that's what Paul does here. But he doesn't only do that in this section uh, to the church in Philippians. It's not a thought that he had just at one point in time. Um, I find that Paul is remarkably, uh, I find the Bible is remarkably consistent. And so there's another section where he writes to the church in uh, Corinth. And what he ends up writing to them is, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord." And in that section where he's concluding there, he's quoting out of the book of Jeremiah, which was happening just prior to the exile uh, of Israel. What I really want us to focus on, though, here is, again, 
God seems to have this way about him of, of drawing people to him who, let's be honest, like most of us, we may have some good things about us, but like we're not that spectacular, right? Like how many of us in here would say, oh, I'm really wise, or I'm really wealthy, or I'm influential, or I'm powerful, and that by, even if you are, that's what provides me with meaning and purpose in life. I'm not going to say any of those things, um, because I know the depths of depravity within myself, and I know how good God is that he would look at someone like me and say, actually, I've got a great use for you despite the lack of wisdom, despite the lack of power, despite that lack of influence. And one of the huge reasons that I think the Lord does this is we're drawn to God so that he can carry out his mission instead of us trying to perpetuate our mission and then bring God alongside of that. Uh, another theologian, I like to quote a lot of people, if you haven't noticed, but there's a, a more modern one named Alan Hirsch. And in his book of his, he writes, surely the challenge for the church today is to be taken captive by the agenda of Jesus rather than seeking to mold him to fit our agendas, no matter how noble they may be. The challenge before us is to let Jesus be Jesus and to allow ourselves to be caught up in his extraordinary mission for the world. As I think about that with Paul... He could have, you know, he had a mission. He had an idea of what he was doing. And he easily could have said, listen, um, this, this Jesus thing happened, but that's not for me, right? I'm going to just keep carrying on with what I want to do, and I'm going to follow my mission because I think that's the right thing to do. And instead, we see that he then is willing to give up his own mission, his own agenda, and say, Jesus has a mission for me, and it's going to cost me a lot. It's going to lay down everything I have worked so hard to earn, and be it my reputation or my standing, my position. Um, I mean, he's no longer acting as a Pharisee, I would imagine, at this point. Um, it's going to cost him a lot. And I think that's something that maybe many of us could really think about in our own lives. Something about what are we willing to lay down and where are those areas that we would say, in our lives, I'm willing to follow Jesus, but I'm not willing to give over this part of my heart or my life to Jesus. And, and I can't speak for each person in this room. I trust the Spirit of the Lord to be working in your hearts right now and illuminating those areas for each and every one of us. So a couple of takeaways. Things that... Um, I, don't, I really don't want anyone to walk away and just go, well, that was interesting. That was nice to hear. There's things that I would very tangibly, and some not so tangibly, like you to walk away with and think about and spend time with the Lord and say, okay, so where, where are things at with us right now, Lord? But first is things aren't always as they appear, which is not very tangible, right? But... Sometimes there's that other path of life, of life. It looks really attractive to us. Okay, it may look easier. It's a simpler path. Maybe there's shortcuts. Maybe it's easier to just have success on that path, however we decide what that means. 
maybe there's more people on that path or the right people, the ones that whatever cool means to us, we'd say, those are the people who are there and I want to emulate and be like them. And the truth is, is that that is a path and it's a path that a lot of people take and it may appear to be the right one to be on, but I'll tell you right now, if it's not the path that Jesus has laid out for you, I don't really care what it appears to be because it's not the right path. And so I would challenge everyone in the room to take your life and put it before the Lord for examination and be willing to say, Lord, is there, are there things that you want me to lay down here? Are there areas here where I have been on one path when really you want me on another? I've been living and trying to be a good person, whatever that means, but really I've been trying to do it on my own strength and without you. And I now need to then take my life and give it to you or take some part of it where, Lord, I've, I've given my life to you, but I realize I'm still trying to, to be the driver of this vehicle here and I need to step away from that and let you be the one to move things forward here. Uh, the second is that pursuing God will bring joy and meaning to your life. Now, it may not always be easy. There's no implicit thing here that says, wow, like God's going to make it so that life is really good for you and you're going to have everything you ever wanted. Uh, I'm quite certain that Paul, when he started out in life, was not thinking, hey, as I carry this out, I'm going to end up in jail. In fact, uh, which is where he's writing this from, uh, the irony being that, that as he was going in his mission to carry out his way, he was seeking to put other people in jail, and yet he's the one who ends up there. And yet, we don't see anything here that would cause us to believe that Paul is saying, yeah, I really regret these decisions. It really was the wrong choice to make. Um, instead, we see him going on to more or less say here and in uh, you know, later parts of Philippians, hey, I'm going to press on towards this goal, and you should really emulate this because it's worth it. Remember, he starts this off in verse 1 by saying to rejoice in the Lord, right? Like, he doesn't say, you know, you can give up on that idea. Things have been hard for me lately, and I'm struggling with whether or not I can do that. He just says, rejoice in the Lord. It's not circumstantial, but you will find joy there. You will find meaning. You will find purpose. And if you look in Paul's letters, he pretty frequently at the ends them by kind of giving a shout out to a whole list of different people, out a whole list of different churches, to where he's built and developed a lot of really great relationships, things that seem to give him some joy and provide him with meaning in life. And so what I would ask each person here to do sometime today or as you go throughout your week, very tangibly, go and spend time with the Lord in prayer, in scripture, and just seek the Lord. Even if that means that you just sit quietly, practicing some silence and solitude and just saying, Lord, I want to give you room to speak because I don't know what to say, but it's actually more about hearing from you anyways than, than me speaking on. And just find out, Lord, where are we at? Are we, am I in a place right now where I'm letting you direct my life or do you have things to show me and where I may be called somewhere else or to do something else? Third takeaway is that success in life is about trusting God's plans and not our abilities. Um, 
I got to tell you, when I think about that, I think it's actually a really remarkable feature of God's grace to us. That it really is about trusting in the Lord. Because if you look around this room, what, what you will see is, as the Bible says in Romans, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So you are in a room full of sinners. I'm a sinner. Each one of you is a sinner. Probably all sin today. Probably all going to sin some more today. It's just a reality. And so we carry with us an absolutely remarkable ability for failure that we call sin. Areas where if it was based on our abilities, knowing how, how well we are able to fail and none of us are going to be perfect, we're going to really fail this whole salvation thing right away. We're going to do it in a hurry. And Jesus already knows this about us, and yet he still extends to us to say, listen, um, it's actually not about you. It's about me. And Jesus is the only one who can live perfectly that way. And so on some level, a takeaway here would even to just be, to walk, uh, as you pray, as you seek the Lord, it's to just say thank you. Thank the Lord. Uh, I like to tell my children, have an attitude of gratitude uh, for what you, you know, for what the Lord has done here in these areas, right? To be able to say, Lord, like, I can't save myself. I can't earn your favor. And I want to thank you that I don't actually have to. But instead, I can come to you with faith and with belief and knowing just how good you are and how remarkable your grace is for us. As we close, I want to read a, a, a famous poem. Uh, although I'm not much of a person for poetry, typically. Uh, Robert Frost, though, wrote a poem, very well known, called The Road Not Taken. And in his poem, he writes, Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both. And be one traveler, long I stood, and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for that the passing mare had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day, yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood, and I... I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. I love that very ending there. I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. So I don't know what the roads look like in your lives, where it is that you feel compelled, where you see other people, where you are drawn to whatever success may look like in a worldly definition. But I'm going to tell you, take that road that isn't as often traveled by. By people who will say, I will have the courage to take my heart, my life, my possessions, my location, my family, my everything, and I will lay it before the Lord and say, Lord, what would you have of me? How would you have me do this uh, thing here? Lead me and you be the one who's in control because you are good and I trust in you and I know that you will be doing good things here to accomplish your mission on earth. Will you bow your heads with me?
Lord Jesus, I really just want to say thank you for the love that you have for us. I want to thank you, Lord, that we cannot earn our space, our place, Lord, our favor uh, that comes from you. And that no matter how much we may try to do that, Lord, no matter what successes we may pursue, Lord, they are all really just as rubbish if they get in the way of our knowing you. I thank you, Lord, that you are good and that you love every single person in this room. I thank you for your salvation. I thank you that it is a freely given act of grace and it is a gift. I thank you, Lord, that I don't have to come to you and say, Lord, look how good I've been. I've made the nice list this year instead of the naughty list. But that, Lord, you are just ever working in our lives and that you are control and you are perfect and that your love, Lord, conquers over all. Would you bless us, Lord? Would you fill this place with your Holy Spirit? Would you touch our lives and show us, Lord, the ways that we are to go? Draw us close to you in all that we do, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you for all that you have done and all that you are going to do as we leave this place today. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.